The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, The Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of the radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com and there you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side is Bradley's show from the previous day. So if you'd like to watch that and, and you missed it, you can do so up until 3 p.m. Eastern today, at which time he'll be live in that little area. On the right side of the page is where we're at. And yes, you guys watching on the video platforms, you'll know that this is not the previous day kind of deal. Um, we, I wasn't fibbing. We are live right now, but we are pre-recording the show. But this is where we're at. Click on the play button. Blow it up on whatever device you got. Look for the rumble icon, bottom right-hand corner. Click on that. Uh, blow it up on whatever device you got. And you'll be taken over there to the Rumble chat, which we have a lot of people uh, join us in the chat over there in the morning. So good morning to you guys. And while you're there, please subscribe to the channel. It's sonsoflibertyradio.com, sonsoflibertyradio.com, and also sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if um, I something just happened here with the computer and we lost everybody. I don't know what happened. Um, there, there, there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> stuff that you guys aren't seeing here. Um, but while you're over there, please subscribe to the channel. The channel is Sons of Liberty Radio Live, Sons of Liberty Radio Live on Rumble. And then also beforeitsnews.com, top of the page over there. And we appreciate those guys giving us a spot in on their, on their platform. Back to sonsoflibertymedia.com. Right up under where we're streaming live, there's a place where you can sign up for our email newsletter, top right-hand corner. Uh, those go out between... You know, late afternoon, early evening, Eastern time. That's all the articles we have for the day, including the morning show archive. So everything we're going to talk about today, uh, any of the documents, any of this kind of stuff, 
we're going to have that in the archive so you guys can pick that up uh, on the subject matter we're going to talk about. Now, you guys know that we did, what was it, Healing for the Ages was back in like September or something, I think. That was when we were there uh, covering that. And when we got back, one of the first people that we had on the show uh, from there was Dr. Henry Ely. And uh, a lot of you were really appreciative of the things he had to say, the things he uh, exposed in that interview. And so um, during that time, there was I, I came across the fact that he was working on a lawsuit, as several guys are working on a lawsuit dealing with some of the stuff that's resulted from this pandemic that we've been involved in. And so, um, boy, this is the first time I've had this many people as guests on <laughs> the Sons of Liberty uh, in my life. So we're, I told him, I said, don't worry about the time. We'll give everybody plenty of time. And if we need to go over, we can do that. But it's my privilege to welcome back to the Sons of Liberty, uh, Dr. Henry Ely. And also we got we got several guys. We got, well, sorry, I got on the wrong thing there. We got several guys. Look at this. We, we got attorneys. We got other people who are in here. We got a, we got a senator. And uh, so here's, welcome guys to the Sons of Liberty. It's great to have you. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for having us. And I, I do have a hard stop at the top. I, we have another uh, interview that we got to okay. jump on with uh, John Otto and everything. But um, if we're talking about something, I can just kind of squeak on out and get that one started over there with Jono. And then the, the gentleman here can rejoin me as they're finishing up uh, over here, if that works for everybody. Sure. That's great. And if you would, how about introducing all your colleagues? I got a couple of oh, the guys yeah. that, that uh, Christina sent me some stuff. Would you quickly introduce them? And let's just hit this. I want to give you guys as much time as we can give you in this hour. All right. Well, starting out, uh, we have Senator Dennis come. Uh, on screen with us, he is uh, he has joined me and and on the uh, uh, grand jury initiative and petition that we filed in federal court along with Senator Kim Thatcher. Uh, also not with us today, uh, she's not able to make it. But also not with us today is uh, our attorney Steve Jonkis, who's just in court every single day now. It seems um, fighting for us. So uh, we're wishing him well. We also have with us. Albert Benavides, the uh, founder of Vares Aware and the number one Vares expert uh, on what's going on in terms of injuries uh, relative to these, uh, forgive me, everybody, these dang shots. I'll, I'll, I'll tone it down, Tim, these dang shots. That's right. Family uh, show. Today. Family show. Family show. <laughs> so it'll be dang shots and everything. Um, and uh, just a, a brilliant uh, analyst uh, that I think people are going to learn a lot from. We also have Judge Paul Nally with us, who is a walking encyclopedia for the grand jury system. If there is something that you want to know about the grand jury, he is the gentleman to be asking. And uh, he has taught us so much about what our rights really are. So we love um, we just love him <laughs> just straight up. And then we have uh, with us our guy, Brian O'Shea, who is always in the know. And he is the person uh, who's showing us where they are intending to take us with their nefarious um, enterprise fraud construct right now. And specifically, he's the expert in the country on One Health and why we have to defeat this uh, demon right now where we stand. Because if we give them any more length in terms of years, uh, we aren't going to have a chance when it comes down to it. So we got to put our, this is where we make our stand right here, right now. Amen. Amen. All right. So let, let's ask, let's ask a quick question here. Let's just start off with the guy who is the representative there. Um, Senator how are, how did you get involved in this with Dr. Ely and these guys? Can you tell it? Can you tell the people that and why? What was the purpose that you that you were seeing and why you joined in on this? 
Yeah, it, it's actually really easy. Um, I was watching Oregon Health Authority's uh, health statistics on their website. You know, there's a there's there's this disconnect between what we're seeing on the news, the the nightly you know scrolling numbers. One hundred and seventy five thousand people died today because of coronavirus and whatever. And it's like. You know, in the United States of America, I know there's only been eight cases and we're already talking vaccines. And then, you know, there were 17 cases and then there's videos of people dropping dead. And I I had a sneaking suspicion that things weren't right. Our governor turned into the iron fist of totalitarianism and she did a lockdown, you know, routine where you can't say hi to your neighbor, you can't walk your dog, you can't run your business, you can't cook a hamburger for a party of friends, you can't hold a wedding even uh, in your in the privacy of your yard, let alone at a public venue, and you can't go to church because church entails singing in congregational settings, and that wouldn't be healthy. And so, um, you know, it, the particular example that really fried me was um, we have a, a single county in my district, 8,000 square miles, nearly as big as New Jersey, one pharmacy in that 8,000 square miles. So it's a lot of rural land, forest land, ag land, uh, cattle ranching, et cetera, just wide open spaces, one pharmacy in the downtown metro area. The uh, governor's health agency red tagged that pharmacy, locked the door, closed it down and said, until you pay us the $10,000 fine and force people to wear masks in your store, we will keep your store shut down. And um, and now they, I, I represent those people and I represent that community. And I knew this had nothing to do about public health because you wouldn't take a pharmacy offline if you were interested in public health. And um, and what I say offline, like it's a, a an online internet thing, but uh, I mean, close the doors on Main Street, lock, padlock the, the building. And so um, I started raising cane and awareness and looking at statistics. Oregon didn't have anywhere near the proposed um, fatality rates that the the experts were expecting. And um, so I hooked up with Senator Thatcher, uh, Senator Kim Thatcher and myself became two of the stalwarts in the um, in the Oregon Senate trying to push back against the governor. We're in a leftist state, so that's very difficult. And then uh, I hooked up with Dr. Ely with his researchers. We could see the evidence. These guys have broken federal law. They've broken federal regulation. We know the dates and we know the timing of all of their um, illegitimate rule breaking, uh, mostly because they violated the Information Quality Act, which guarantees the data coming being used by the federal government is accurate, appropriate, and um well, there's a third word that skips my brain right now, but legitimate. And they they missed on all of those. They're supposed to be peer review. They're supposed to be uh, the ability for stakeholders to request uh, changes to it. None of that happened because 
these guys were busy breaking federal law. And this grand jury is to investigate that um, illegal activity and to determine if they did it through willful misconduct. Um, And so uh, that's how I joined the team. We've been fighting for almost three years now. It's been long in coming. And we had a, uh, I'll let Dr. Ely fill in. We had a court date scheduled for for December 5th. And I'll let Dr. Ely fill in what happened to that court date. Okay. Dr. Ely? Well, you know, the courts are uh, the courts are not our friends, you know, by and large. We've, had, we've seen a couple of really good judges out there um, doing some good work, but definitely not the norm. Um, it's actually more of a pleasant surprise when we see a good ruling. Uh, what we have been working on, Tim, and everybody in your audience, and thanks for having us so much, we've been working on for three over three years now is being able to prove what is the easiest thing in the world to prove, fraud. This is criminal data fraud and willful misconduct, and and is and, and there has been a theft of at least four point five trillion dollars of American taxpayer money. I mean, this is the easy, most easy thing to prove in the entire world, and yet the courts don't want to touch this. So they keep throwing cases out on lack of standing or what they did with us. Um, they threw it out, uh, saying that we were trying to achieve something that we weren't trying to achieve. So in our first go round with Judge Hernandez way back uh, last year, uh, we went through a whole bunch of nonsense with the Department of Justice defending these uh, alleged criminals. And what ended up happening was we were very explicit that we were requesting and demanding a grand jury investigation, not a grand jury prosecution. All right. And it's a very important distinction legally because we as citizens, for some insane reason, do not have the right to demand prosecution, but we do have the right to demand investigation. What Judge Hernandez did was he said, you know what, I think you really want to uh, demand prosecution, even though you were explicit in your filing saying you didn't, and I am going to create a straw man argument and rule against you on those grounds. And that's what he did. So we immediately appealed and we have been working all year to get into court into oral arguments. The appellate court in the Ninth Circuit agreed to grant us oral arguments, and we're getting all excited because we're, we got the notification that December 5th, we're going to be in court. Our attorney, Steve Jonkis, is going to give them 15 minutes of H-E-L-L, and we are going to see where this is going to land, right? And so we're prepping for that, and we're getting we're setting up all of our schedule, and we're going up there. I'm getting ready to drive up to Oregon because I'm going to throw a huge party outside the courthouse and we are going to show we are going to throw down with these people right we're ready to go amen and then what they did is Thanksgiving comes around and you know what they've been doing for the last three plus years Fridays are the day they always release sensitive information always late in the day so it doesn't hit the news cycle they want to they want to give you that news that they don't want anybody talking about on Friday so last week Thanksgiving comes, and what are we all doing? We're eating turkey. We're having a good time with family. We're thinking Friday is a non-work day. It's the most non-work day in the entire nation, unless you work in the retail industry and you're in the, you know, on Black Friday and stuff like that. Well, the judges tried to turn Friday the 24th into Black Friday on us. They actually sent out a letter to our attorney telling us that they're revoking our oral arguments, right, that we had scheduled on December 5th. And you know what they tried to say, Tim? What's they that? tried to say, we have enough information in your briefs and we are prepared to rule on this unanimously. Now, 
I'm not a fool. All right. I know what they're saying. The Department of Justice has told us that we cannot let this get to a grand jury. That's right. We're yep. going to kick this out of our court. We're going to rule against you. And we're so we're like, fine. We were this was going to the Supreme Court anyway. We're going to take this to the Supreme Court next. No problem. I'm ready to get it on. Right. And we're going to initiate phase two of our strategy of the grand jury initiative. We started at the top. Now we're going to go back to the soil and we're going to go to the grassroots and we're going to give everybody the power to engage their grand juries in the over 3,100. What is it, Senator? 43, 3,143 counties in the United States. Each of them have a grand jury. We are going to do our best to collaborate with groups like Tactical Civics, and we are going to give everybody in this country the hammer of God to make an absolute mess of our entire judicial system next year. And you are going to have to deal with us on some level. We are we have made one definitive promise to the American people and everyone around the world that's been watching us and our work on this. We are going to do everything in our power and we will not rest until a grand jury has opened up a thorough investigation into the obvious criminal data fraud regarding death certificates and the PCR testing and all that COVID nonsense, the subsequent theft of at least $4.5 trillion of U.S. taxpayer money and the horrible fallout of all of that With when we look at the fraudulent nature of the clinical trials associated with these dang shots that and all of the 1.6 plus million people at least who have been injured by these shots of which we have no idea how many of them have actually died and albert will be able to tell your audience about that but they picked on the wrong group of people they would have been better served to just put us into a grand jury and let some investigation go and give up a couple sacrificial lambs. Now we want everybody. I would have been happy with them just turning over Fauci and sending a message to them that you guys are going to have to put a pause. No longer. We want everybody. We want Gates. We want Klaus Schwab. We want everybody that has been involved in this greatest crime of human history. It is the ultimate throwdown. And we are saying, get in the ring with us because we're ready to brawl. Amen. Amen. And, and including, let's go with the let's go with the political prostitutes who pimp the shots too. Uh, people like Donald Trump who've continued to tell the people nobody's died from this, nobody's been harmed, any of this kind of stuff. The, the, I'm I'm telling you, our foundations are the scriptures and the Constitution, and the scriptures are clear. You know, the Bible says, "It's mine to avenge; I'll repay." And again, the Lord will judge His people. But God often does that through the people. He does that as a means. And this is what it means to follow him, is to love justice, right, uh, mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And part of that is seeking the lawgiver, the one who gave the law. And there's no doubt in my mind that this goes beyond just, you know, unconstitutional spending. These people were involved in things they shouldn't have done. So here, let's jump to that since you said that. Albert, Albert is with VaresAware.com. You guys can check him out there, VaresAware.com. Albert, what's your role in this? Is you, are you the guy who goes through all their uh, stuff that they put out and you say, this is what they're really doing. This is the real numbers that they're showing because my understanding is in Vares is that they've done, they've conducted several studies these guys aren't even keeping up with it. They aren't even getting 1% of what's actually taking place as far as any kind of injuries or deaths through uh, through any kind of vaccine. But we've seen numbers that dwarf 
the entire 30 or what is it, 30 or 40 years that VARES has been in place, we're seeing those numbers dwarf them starting when the, the Convid shot, that's what I call it, was rolled out at the end of 2020. What's your role in all of this? What are you putting in for the people? Uh, Tim, thank you. And uh, thanks for uh, having having me and, and uh, our team here. Uh, sure. Yeah, so I'm, I'm the VARES guy and, um, uh, you know, it's it's crazy. You, you know, so you you alluded to the underreporting factor of uh, possibly the Harvard Pilgrim study back in 2010. That uh, after that study, they said that uh, they think that only one percent of the injuries actually get reported to VARES. But I'm here to tell you now that after auditing VARES for three solid years, that VARES doesn't even publish all legitimate reports that they receive, and that's huge. Wow. Um, yeah, so they're receiving a ton of reports and they are not publishing them, even though they're legitimate. Um, I point to uh, Robert F. Kennedy, who on June 19th of 2021 at my church, uh, Calvary Christian in San Jose, California, said that he had spoken to a group of VAERS representatives and collectively at that point in time, they said that collectively 150,000 VAERS reports had disappeared from their queues, meaning they were never published. So uh, that's that's one piece of evidence. Um, they not only do they not publish all legitimate reports after publication, they delete reports and they're they're deleting, in my opinion, a lot of legitimate reports. They've deleted uh, 31,000 COVID uh, reports so far. 1,100 of those have been death reports. And I've spot checked about 2,000 of those reports, um, expecting to uh, find them because they say, and I agree with it, that they they should be able to uh, delete a report if it's a duplicate uh, or if it's a fake or false report. So on paper, in theory, I, I, I believe that. However, they do have four to six weeks to rigorously vet and authenticate a report that it is not a duplicate and it is not fake or false. So in that four to six weeks where they're making the sausage, Okay, there's going to be there's going to be a, a, a you know a bunch of reports that they're not going to publish because they were duplicates. So, so granted, now they're published and they still have a need to to delete thirty one thousand reports. Some of these ones, um, they've deleted a a, a dead uh, Pfizer trial patient, and uh, as an example, and this person stuck out like a sore thumb because. Her vaccine date was in September of 2020, a full three months before the actual rollout in December. So right there, I know that's not a duplicate because I couldn't find her. And the way it was written, professionally written, I thought, you know, this is this is you know, this can't be a fake report. I don't think it's a fake report. So that that's an example. Um, you know, there's other ones that that they deleted like a 31 year old female from Maine who died. And then I go back and I can't even find one 31 year old female that ever died in Maine at all. Not even on the month or year that they, that they said that she died. Wow. So hey, Albert, can I so, jump in real quick on that? Cause I don't want you to leave that point before you go to your next point. Yeah. 
there's Tim for your audience. There's two things that every we want every American to know because we've researched and we went into the New England Journal of Medicine when they published the Pfizer clinical trial and everything. Pfizer removed six thousand two hundred and ninety two people. It's not just Americans. People out of their final safety analysis. We asked Pfizer and we asked the New England Journal of Medicine what happened to those 6,292 people. We asked that uh, in the uh, winter of 2020 and early of 2021. We got ghosted. They told us nothing. you know. And then when you have Albert telling you that he found a VAERS report showing that someone in the clinical trials died. We know now that I think about 14 to 16 people died apparently during the clinical trials from what we know today, but we have proof of at least one. What that was supposed to do was it was supposed to immediately terminate all of the clinical trials and bring them all the way back to uh, step one, phase one of the clinical trial. Instead, what Pfizer did was they lied to the FDA. The FDA, were they in cahoots? I don't know. I wouldn't surprise me at this point, but they lied and they published fraudulent data yet again on these clinical trials. And now as a result of that, they did it so that they didn't have to go back to step one and delay production because this was warp speed. If you remember that, this wasn't warp speed. These dang shots have been in development. Our research shows since 1968, and we can prove it. We can prove all of everything we're saying. This was premeditated murder, and we have to start having the courage to call things in this country what they are. Albert, thanks for giving me a little step in right there. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that input. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing, Tim, is that uh, just just for your audience to know is that um, only initial reports are made public, even though the CDC and the FDA continue to capture follow up data. Through the through getting pinged on a text or an email after you file the report at at 90, 180, and 360 days, you'll get you'll get a follow-up, like a survey. You know, how are you doing? Are you any better? Are you recovered? Are, are you still alive? So they continue to capture follow-up data, but only the initial report is made public. So it begs the question: how many people in the VAR system are now since dead out of the 1.6? million reports that are in there today. And so that's that's kind of a, a, a curveball that nobody ever thinks about. And the point about that is that uh, previous to January 2011, they used to append the initial report with follow-up data. So that Harvard Pilgrim study that was published in 2010, they didn't have to contend with this new paradigm shift that we have now. So I think that's why they changed it to only initial reports after they got that Harvard Pilgrim study to come out. They got they, they got scared. And this is one way they they, uh, they stack the deck by only publishing initial reports. Can I ask you one question before we move on to somebody else? And that is yeah. that's a very simple question is from your look at theirs over the past three years or so. I, you know, I was calculating it today. This, this shot rolled out at the end of 2020. The whole thing's been going on for you know, four years now, uh, you know, even before the shot. What is what is your estimation? What are you guessing the number of people who've been injured and or killed here in the United, just in the United States and not, you know, forget the other part of the world right now, just from the VAERS reports in America, how many people have been injured or killed from these shots? What would be your guess 
based on the, the research that you've done? Yeah, I got I got it at one point five million domestically in the United States. Uh, Steve Steve Kirsch, uh, great guy. He's got a, a under reporting factor of forty one. So if you take the eighteen thousand that we have dead now recorded in VARES, multiply that by forty one, you get you're at like eight hundred thousand. And so, and I think you can double double his number just for the sheer fact that only initial reports are made public. So I think you could double the deaths with just the people that are in there that are petrified in time that, uh, you know, that are now since dead. So that's how I get to my, my 1.5 and that's conservative. And would you say that I'm sure you guys are all familiar with the Deagle report. Would you say that this is a part that somehow that report knew something like this was coming and could say, you know, America's population is going to go from over 300 million down to 99 million. Would you say that that's on track? And are we fixing to see the next year, which many people projected to say within, you know, three years, we're really going to see a lot of people start dying. I mean, we, I'm seeing that rush again in the news cycle every day. The I call young people, anybody that's my age, 54 or less, uh, or even under 60. I still think people who are under 60 look young to me. Anyway. <laughs> Young, younger people, they're not in their 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s. They haven't lived all of their life yet. I mean, how do, how do you see all of that kind of playing out? Uh, I'll just answer quickly. I, I didn't yeah. want to believe it, but now I, you know, I, <clears throat> to say that it's on track, I don't know that it's on track with the Deagle report, but, you know, some something, some exponential death can happen between now and whatever that right. space of time is in the next few years. And uh, I think it's still on the table. It's not off the table. Okay. Right. Yeah. What you have to look at, Tim, are, are the number of factors. And this is the way these are brilliant people we're up against or, or brilliant things, creatures that we're up against. Um, but you have to you have to give them their credit for what they're really intelligent about. You have to respect your enemy. All right. And what they've done is they've figured out how to genetically infect not just the human cell, but also and especially the microbiome and especially E. coli and uh and yeast and this is going to come off the great re revelation research that kevin mckernan has done showing us that there are plasmids that were supposed to be filtered out of the final product that weren't filtered out now you can say it was a an accidental contamination i say bs on that that it was intentional um because when you understand what plasmids do and their ability to reverse transcribe a la the hiv a virus. When you see and you understand their ability to reverse transcribe and genetically infect a um, microorganism or a human cell, you have to now get that infecting agent into the cell. Well, now you enter in 5G and 5G creates nanoparition, which is going to create little small holes in cells and in the nucleus and allow for the easier uploading of that technology. And then when you throw in smart dust and quantum dots and the things that people go, oh, you're just doing some conspiracy theory. So you know what? Go and read their peer reviewed literature. They brag about what they are capable of doing. And if you are still silly enough to have blue light turned on on your phone because you think I'm a fool, then you don't understand the depth of their technology. You don't understand how they are using light and frequency now to be able to disseminate and activate bioweapons that they have introduced into systems 
through water supply, through airway, and through these dang shots. And if you don't appreciate that, you are going to be one of these people that are cold. Go and read what the WEF has put together on the useless eater and what they feel the population needs to be. And then what you understand is that they needed to do several things. You can't just kill everybody outright because if you kill everybody outright, then everybody's going to know something's up. You have to attack from multiple angles so that you can kill some people outright. And that's what they did with the folks that were had comorbidities and were over 65 years of age. Those were the people in the high risk in 20s with the bioweapon release. And now what you start doing is injecting these children who have no need or use for this supposed thing, if it even worked, as they said it did. They are now going to be infertile. And now what you have are people who cannot reproduce. And if you place social constraints under the guise of climate change on reproducing, whereby people now have to, I don't know, maybe go get a license to have a baby or something like that. That sounds crazy, right? Wait till you see what the World Health Organization has in store. What you start seeing is a multi-pronged attack where you can kill some people, you can limit uh, through a variety of means infertility and social constructs, reproduction, and now they have seized the control of reproduction. And over a period of time, what happens is rather than more people being born than die, now you start getting into what you're talking about with this report, more people dying than being born. And over a period of time, that starts to reach an exponential curve of increase, especially over the next two decades. So we might not be there in year one or year two, but I promise you on the trajectory we are currently on, we will get there within two decades. And that was their goal to begin with. Okay. All right. Um, let's go to Brian. Brian, you are investigative journalist. You're a career intelligence analyst. And uh, you, I, I guess, write for Dr. Naomi Wolf's uh, Daily Clout there. What's your role in what's going on here? Uh, are you using? Are you doing something similar to Albert in that you're pulling data that can be used in this lawsuit as well? Um, actually, no, I'm, I'm not that smart, unfortunately. Okay. Well, I was trying to, I was um, trying to build you up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for having me on a uh, pleasure to be here. Um, no, actually what I am doing is, uh, I, I guess you could call me the, um, the drone circling above this team to make sure nothing's coming at them from left, right, and center and below and above. And that's why I'm focused on One Health, because as Dr. Ely and everyone are utilizing the, uh, you know, the current system of law to get justice um, and transparency, what's happening with One Health, which is an ideology that spells out how public health should be managed by every member country of the WHO, including the United States, um, what that does, that One Health ideology should a pandemic treaty be adopted, and even if it doesn't, what the One Health framework, the One Health um, way of doing public health, what it's slowly doing is creeping into state and federal leg uh, law. And in the event of a pandemic, uh, a pandemic or an, a public health emergency, a lot of these laws and bills that they are trying to pass based on this One Health approach to medicine, which, by the way, is that. Uh, the goal of public health should be equitable outcomes for humans. And I just wrote one today. It says it's humans, animals, and the planet. I read one today that was very chilling where they said, 
humans, non-human animals, and the environment. So I guess we're we're animals. Um, and what that does is I'm finding laws now. There's actually a public law, 117.328, which starts addressing, hey, if there's an emergency, there's basically a lot of suspensions of those laws. So as this team is already experts in, you know, grand juries, grand jury investigations, um, I'm keeping them, you know, really in the know about what's happening with One Health because I have a feeling this team is going to be leading the way for a lot of other grand jury teams to fight One Health itself, to preserve the system of law we have to fight these other things we're fighting, which One Health is the biggest enemy of our sovereignty and our, our rule of law. Yeah, and I, I think this is one of the things that I really appreciated uh, out of the Healing for the Ages conference was uh, the doctors there, including Dr. Ely, the, the thing that they have, you know, we, we talk about love and justice. Uh, Hosea 12.6, for instance, you must return to your God, maintain love and justice and wait for your God always. And of course, we talked a lot about love there. Um, some people probably would laugh, uh, but Dr. Ely and I did a chest bump. We did hugs. I mean, the and but but it's the actions. It was an issue of trying to teach people how to care for them. It wasn't there. Yeah, it costs money to do things. So obviously, it cost people to to go there. It cost them to put it on. All, but the idea was to teach people how to take care of themselves so they don't get caught in these kind of traps. And I think that's part of the issue that we're dealing with is the dumbing down. And, you know, it's all of us. A lot of us have been dumbed down and we're having to learn so that, you know, Hosea, again, you know, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What do they not know? They don't know the law of God. And God tells us what's good for us. He's put it, he's put it in the creation to eat let thy food by thy medicine, the medicine be thy food kind of deal. And eating good food and things and taking care of ourselves, a lot of times we can avoid a lot of these issues that we would have to go see a doctor for in the first place, much less have something injected in our body, which the body, the Bible says uh, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So we, we need to be careful about those things. So I appreciate you bringing that, that out. Now, I want to jump over here just a little bit to Paul. Is Paul there? Are you there, Paul? Uh, Before yeah, you... Uh, yeah, okay. I was going to jump. Let, let me jump in Go ahead, here, Senator. Uh, Judge. Uh, on this topic, um, here in Oregon, we had a um, a uh, a. I, it's called IP3. It's an initiative petition where the public, supposedly the public, can put initiative together. They can get signatures, and it would show up on the ballot, and then the people would vote on it. IP3 was a ballot initiative to um, criminalize the killing of all animals in the state boundary of Oregon. That includes beef, it includes bacon, it includes uh, rats, it includes uh, vermin of every type and variety, um, as long as it was mammalian. And it also would shut down, so it shut down my entire uh, uh economic sector, which is agriculture, uh, animal agriculture and animal reproduction, mostly whether it's dairy farms or beef cattle or whatever, as well as chicken. And all of those would get, quote, outlawed. In fact, it would be against the law to trap a rat in your pantry. And um, it, it failed um, this go round, but it will be back next go round because they were paying people 
$30 an hour to collect signatures. Now, you know, we think minimum wage is going through the roof, but at $30 an hour, you could have every number of illegal aliens or hardworking rural folks standing on the corner just to make immediate money for tonight's dinner. And it's right down the One Health line where, you know, animals and in the dairy industry, it also outlawed um, uh, the sexual, um, the, the, they call it sex crimes against animals, which would be artificially, uh, you know, inseminating uh, dairy cows so that you get the most milk production. That was now against the law and these kinds of things. And, and so where, where we see um, uh, Mr. O'Shea going with this is clearly on the table, and it it uh, it's a deviation from our grand jury pursuit. But nevertheless, it's very real for those people who are thinking this is just a bunch of guys with tinfoil hats on their head. Um, and to, uh, I'll let I'll let you circle back to uh, Judge Nally. Here he is. Yeah, let me let me, before I, before I do that because of what you said. You know, Judge, we had. Um... Jen Jacobson from Beloved Cheesecake. Mm -hmm. She's in your state. And she stood up. And one of the things that I've said all along is I don't understand. Because even in our state, everybody goes, oh, it was Democrats shutting down. No, we got a Republican governor, and he started messing with some stuff here in South Carolina, too. Now, it wasn't as as big as Oregon, where you guys obviously have a backwards uh, kind of governor. And I, I'm thinking pro she probably gets into office uh, from some voter fraud, too. OK, but but you have a you have a governor there who's in violation of law in her very behavior uh, as, as well. She's not in there anymore, is she? Brown, is she still in there? Uh, no, we've got a right. like twin sister. Uh, she, but she engages in the same behavior, right? That's right. Okay. That's right. All right. So, so I don't know why the people don't hold her to the law and bring her to justice for her crimes that she professes to be doing. That this is part of the problem, and I don't understand why businesses and other people, you know, they talk a lot about Second Amendment. Second Amendment. Why don't you arm yourselves, get with your fellow businessmen and say, we're not shutting a door, we're not taking a shot, we're not putting a mask on. You do what uh, Tony Roman did down there in California, and every time they say, well, you know, you're going to have a mask mandate, Tony says, if you wear a mask, you're not coming to my place. Well, you have to shut, have a shot. Well, if you, had a, if you don't have a shot, you're welcome, but if you've had a shot, you're not welcome. Well, you're going to have to shut early. Well, we're just going to stay open later. I don't know why the people don't put them in their place and say, wait a minute, we created you guys— and we didn't create you and give you authority to demand of our life and our health and all of this other stuff. We gave you a small little bit to do, and you guys can't even do that. Why don't we just fire the whole lot of you and start all over? I, that's the part I don't get. And if you have to be armed in doing it, what's wrong with that? The police come, and nobody gets worried about that. I don't understand these things. But anyway, we're having to go through this injustice system, and it is an unjust system because— it seems the whole thing has been corrupted. So this is where we want to go with you, uh, Judge. Why don't you speak to the issue? Tell people what your part in this in this lawsuit is, and maybe you want to speak to some of the things I am. I, I think the words in the Constitution and stuff are pretty simple, pretty straightforward. They're not hard. They're not difficult. They're not complicated to understand. But yet, we're being made to think this is such a complicated issue. It's difficult. A lot of people's lives are at stake. 
but they're not at stake over natural things. They're they're at stake over things that that people have purposely planned and put out, as Dr. Ely said, and I completely agree, to murder a large percentage of the population. What's your part in this in this of what's going on? Well, my part is to try and help these folks with their grand jury access, which is an absolute right uh, guaranteed under state and federal constitutions. But Isaiah was quite correct, and Isaiah was speaking to this generation. And the reason that it applies, and before I go there, let me share an observation from history with you and your listeners. I cannot recall in, in recorded history any time that the Almighty gave a gift to his children. And then he turned around and forced them to keep it. Mm. That there is no record of that that I can find. Now I could, I could have missed something, but God's not going to force you to keep your liberty. And if you want to throw it away because you're scared, or you don't want to offend some politician, you know, you can kiss your liberty goodbye. It's gone. Come on, brother, preach it. But. To get back to the current litigation in the Ninth Circuit, the question, the, the serious question that is essential to the entire process is did Judge Hernandez abuse the doctrine of separation of powers? Now, what that entails is this, and I'll try to be as succinct as possible. Every citizen and every public official has an absolute right to take their concerns to a grand jury. And the reason they do is because a grand jury is comprised of your neighbors. They're not paid daily paid politicians, government agents. They are an agency of our government, but that's put there because the people wanted the grand jury. They wanted their neighbors to be the final authority. And that's where the final authority resides. And the reason it resides there is because grand juries, and you can go back to as early uh, English common law as you want to, or early American common law, you will find Grand juries stuck their nose in anybody's business. We have people who claim that we, the citizens of the United States, are sovereign. You even have a Supreme Court case in which the judge has said that the citizens of this nation are the true sovereign. Amen. Well, yes, we were, but we're not any longer. We have taken one step down. And the way we did that is we entered into a contract. All 3 million people that were in the 13 colonies entered into a contract with one another to establish a charter to organize and set up a government that could help control the inter 
relationships of the states and, and their relationship with one another and to guarantee the rights, privileges, and immunities of every free man and woman in that society. Well, lo and behold, a charter was developed. Today, it's known as the Constitution. But in law, it's nothing more or less than a charter of a corporation. And it clearly defines all of the uh, entitlements that the government agents can exercise. One of which, the most important of which, is the absolute protection of our rights, privileges, and immunities. Now, why a grand jury? Simply this. The grand jury has jurisdiction that starts in its individual counties. And uh, just doing a quick math on that, there are 3,237 grand juries, 3,143 county grand juries, and then there's 94 federal grand juries. But those grand juries, every one of them, are from the common law till today, judges of the law. That doesn't mean a whole lot when you first hear that, that phrase, judges of the law. But when That's you the power. But when you stop, yes, sir, when you stop and think about your neighbors, 23 of your neighbors being able to judge any law, and I mean not just in the state, I mean federal and state. That's right. Now, when you start judging the laws, there's a lot of politicians, fannies, are about to be hung out in the wind. But not only do they judge the law, but then they judge the facts. And then, if that wasn't enough power, they are recognized. If they're not given this power, they're recognized as having this power when they came into the Fifth Amendment. And that is the judging of the law, judging of the facts, and then true presentment made. I want every one of you to understand that of all the public officials throughout the nation, not one has an oath that demands they be truthful to you. Not one, except a grand juror. Hmm. And their oath, their oath, a statutory requirement is that they true presentment make. Now, none of us here You've heard these allegations from these gentlemen who, who have done yeoman's work in putting all this information and all this evidence together. Not one of us can listen to these men and women and say for a fact to our neighbor, oh, that's the truth. I believe that's the truth. Well, we can believe it's the truth, but as a matter of law, that's not the truth until a grand jury does their diligent inquiry of these facts. Once that's done, if a grand jury comes back and says, that's the truth, then you have the absolute highest presumption of veracity that you have been given the truth 
by the grand jury. And that truth is established in their presentments, their indictments, or their reports. So I'm hopeful that the Ninth Circuit uh, gets its collective intellect together. I hope its IQ is not somewhere below whale manure and uh, that they come through for these uh, petitions. Well, Judge, I'm going to I'm going to tell you, I don't think it's an issue just of IQ. I think it's an issue of what are we looking at as far as who's being bribed, who's got, you know, dirt that they've got on, who's who's compromised, all these kinds of things, because all of this comes back to the people. And I like the fact that we've got a diversity of people. We've got we've got a, a state senator. We've got a doctor. We've got a journalist. We've got a judge. We've we've got a, a guy who's looking into theirs. And by the way, I'm going to have some of you guys back on individually because uh, I think probably you have a lot of good information that people need to hear. But when I look to the Constitution, the people are the ones, you said it a minute ago, that even in the Constitution, the people are the ones who are the law enforcers. What are we doing with this thin blue line stuff? We know they're agents of the state for the most part. The Constitution tells us in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15 and 16, the Congress has the power to provide for calling forth the militia. That is not the National Guard. It's not the Reserve. That's men like you and the guys you see on the screen here, people. If, uh, I, may pe- in, if I may interrupt Go ahead. You for, yeah, please. Uh, go ahead. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to call your attention to that. Sure. Specifically this. And it's important that every citizen in this nation understand the language of their documents. You are quite correct when you quote those, but keep in mind, there is something in there you did not quote. And the reason you didn't is because it's not there. Okay. And that is that it is the exclusive authority of the Congress. It is not, it does not say it's exclusively the authority. It just says that Congress has the authority. That's right. Well, guess what? Calling the militia, is something that a citizen in the state of Georgia can do. Our our law on calling out the unorganized militia, the, the United States Congress has denominated three tiers of militia. One is the Army of the United States. The second is the organized militia of each state. That is known as the National Guard. And then... In the, and this is all in the DIC Act. You can go read it for yourself. The third one is the unorganized militia, which is comprised of every male between the ages of 18 and 47. Yeah, and Judge, what, I, what the point I was going to make was the people still have the authority if they will just exercise it. They have the authority to execute the laws of the Union. That's what it says, to suppress insurrection, to repel. You see this invasion going on our southern border. You have the authority to stop that as the militia. And you have the authority in this grand jury issue to bring justice. The very thing that the people say they want, Judge, they're ignorant of the fact they still think, well, if we vote the right guy in, he'll bring justice when the reality is it's up to us to do that. Guys, we got about 10 seconds here, and I know you need to go to another interview. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and cut it off. If you guys will hang on, I'll say goodbye to you off air. And I want to see if we can maybe connect to and bring each of you on individually, give you you know a whole hour to talk or maybe two at a time or something like that. We'll do that. So hang on with me. I'll say goodbye to you off air. Guys, catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central. 
sonsoflibertymedia.com. We'll be back in the morning, Lord willing, 8 a.m. with Kate Shimrani. Don't miss it. See you.